to Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer a heretic. I'm your host, Matthew J. DiStefano, and for the next hour, I'll be your Sherpa to nowhere in particular. Nowhere in particular. Hey, welcome to another episode of Apostates Anonymous. I'm your host, Matthew J. DiStefano, and I'm excited to be here for, for another show. We have uh, the one and only, my man, Adam Erickson, coming up in just a bit. We're going to hit him up. You might know him from those signs that you see posted on Facebook and Instagram and elsewhere where he quotes uh, assholes like myself and uh, old man Giles and, uh, you know, puts up those those church signs that uh, get him into a little bit of trouble. So we're going to call him up. Um, also, I, before we do, I, I got to shout out to him because uh, he and the Raven Foundation are the ones who gave me my start, uh, so to speak. Uh, they were the first ones to publish uh, an article I wrote back in 2015. So, nothing but love from my man, Adam Erickson, and the Raven Foundation. And so, I'm looking forward to uh, hitting him up. You're going to like the conversation we are going to have in just a moment here. But before we get into that, just I'm going to tell you all that I have the opportunity to run advertisements on this show and make money doing it. But I'm not going to. I'm going to do it a different way. I'm not going to waste time reading copy from some company I may may or may not, uh, you know, get down with. Um, but I am going to ask that if you have a dollar a month to spare, that you head over to patreon.com and support me that way. Because instead of doing ads, I'm going to do it on a donor-based thing because I believe in giving away free content and the people who could pick up the rest for not being able to pay um, are going to do that. And so far, it seems to be working. There's a lot of generous people out there that are that are helping support content like this, and I, and I'm reverentially reverentially grateful. I can't even talk today. Why can't I talk, Matthew? Um, I don't know. I don't know why. But I'm gonna have a sip of water first. Maybe that'll help. So for for everyone who does that, love y'all. For everyone who can't, love y'all too. Um, I'm gonna keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing my thing. I understand times are tough. I understand not having money. So I feel you. Uh, but if you do, patreon.com slash mjdistefano. That's where you can support me. I've got different tiers on there. So if you're at $1 a month, you get you get a little bit. I'm not going to lie. You get some good stuff. Um, $5 a month and, and up, you're going to get some more stuff. So um, And I put books in there every now and then. All that kind of cool shit. I try to give away a lot of free stuff in there. And uh, I'm sure that the folks listening who are on Patreon will will tell you that I, I try to keep it populated with new content that is exclusive to them. Um, so thanks to everyone who does that. Now, without any more wasting time, wasting any more of the people's time, we are going to give Adam Erickson a phone call right now. Hi, Matt. Hey, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm great. How, How are, are you? you? I'm I, fine. 
I'm okay. good. How are you, my fellow apostate? What does it yeah. mean to be an what does it mean to be an apostate? Have... Well, I mean, I, I use it tongue in cheek, obviously. I, I I think it means to just completely fall away from the Christian church, is from what I understand. Like, oh. like you've you've come you've backslidden. Like heresy is like down the slide, and then um, you know apostasy is like off the ramp and into the deep waters. So you are outside of the Christian church. Is that, is uh, that what that means? Well, I don't know. Um, let's 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 get let's discover our inner Derrida and what does it mean by Christian or church? <laughs> yes. Uh, it depends on who you ask, I suppose, right? Well, I'm asking you. Oh no, I'm I'm fine if you call me a Christian. I still love Jesus. I just think the rest of the rest of y'all Yahoo's, not you, I'm just kidding. Evangelical um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you are. Um, evangelicals uh, are definitely uh, threw me out a long time ago. But, you know, I, I kind of use heresy and apostasy interchangeable. But I guess there's some nuance there. You think that the evangelicals really have the power to show to throw you out of the church? Fuck that, man. No, no, no. Again, this is all tongue in cheek. I Come think on. it's. It's it's the the terms you know how it goes, man. Uh, I see your I see your posts uh, about your your signs. You've got yeah. your signs, man, and I know people get mad about that. It's um, you know, it's just one of those things we we fling around terms so often they become meaningless. Yes, yes. That's so why not why not use them as as a joke? It's all just I a like joke. it. I like yeah. it. I like it. So you yeah. like, but but no, seriously, you have you have had a um. Uh, what what would you call it? You've had a past with the church, and all of, a lot of us have been burned by the church, wounded, um, and we've done some wounding, and we're all a part of this messed up, crazy life. So, do you consider yourself like not part of the church, or does that question not even interest you anymore? Well, first of all, who's doing the interviewing here, man? I, you do you like how I switched that on you? Like you right totally, from the beginning, I was like, I'm doing this interview. I'm taking you're like control. Me. You're like Mitzi. You flipped it and reversed it. Um, I, I don't think about it. I, people always ask me that. Like, I don't okay. know if you do. Well, you're, I mean, you're a pastor at a UCC, so you probably have to think about it. But I like, I, I literally went, a church went, in the UCC. We're sort of church. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Quasi church. We're, we're heretics. In a <laughs> yeah. Of course so. you are. <laughs> Which is what I love about it. Um, I honestly, people ask me that when I'm on people's shows and, and things like that. And I'm like, I literally don't think about it any longer. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I like that. You're, you're better for it. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, I, I feel like you came on at a time where we're, the conversation is forced. Like we're in the midst of like everything. Um, Donald Trump had COVID and now he's apparently cured because he says so. Um, we had we had what can only be described in loose terms as a debate between the president and the presidential candidate. And then we had um, we had Mike Pence and Kamala last night and Whoa. and there was a third guest and I didn't know they were going to have a third guest on the stage. There was a uh, oh. there was a, a, a two minute impromptu. Um, third guest, I, I don't know if he has a name yet, but he is a fly. Oh, I love the fly. The fly was so great. <laughs> was God, God created flies to land on piles of shit for a reason. 
<laughs> I can't believe I said that out loud, Matt. You I'm did. sorry. I, I'm it, on your show and I'm cussing and I'm really sorry. I know that you have problems with cussing. We we have standards here. Yes. Um, well, what did you what but, did you think about the VP debate? Well, well, let me let me stop you um, because well, this is your show after all these days, I guess. Because <laughs> not only did Trump survive COVID, he is feeling twenty years younger. Fantastic. So. Matt, just go out there and get you some COVID and you're going to feel so much better. You're going to feel 20 years younger. And it's just fantastic. It's like the gift that Trump keeps giving us. Yeah, that was the um, it was kind of like implied that like he took this one on the chin on behalf of the American people. It's like, I'm going to be out front. I'm going to take the bullet for y'all. And now I learned a lot because I couldn't breathe for a little bit. And now I feel better. And 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 and. So I, I fought the battle for you. Yes. It was like, oh, my God. We're all uh, better for it because our sacrificial victim took one for the team. And Oh, yes. Uh, and now he's trying to deify himself. Oh, you're uh, going Gerard, aren't you? I, right? Yes. He's yeah. 20 years younger. He's the God. He's, I think oh, he's- Oh, my like, God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. No, he's like coming out of the waters like that, uh, like that Southern American goddess with- um, you know, she gets sacrificed. I forget which tribe she gets sacrificed. And then she comes up out of the waters yes. like with all the animals and the bushes and the flowers. And she's this like amazing goddess. And this is, oh, it's brilliant. It's just death and resurrection. He's resurrected as a new God. I was going to go with zombie. I think he's a zombie. <laughs> well, that works too. <laughs> uh, oh man. What? So what did I think about the vice presidential debate last night? Um, I... You know, it it was like uh, everybody keeps saying how it was like there were adults in the room compared to like the last time. Well, but the bar was pretty low, to be fair. The bar was low, but I mean, Mike Pence just kept talking. He just kept going. She, the moderator, had to interrupt him and say, "Mr. Vice President, Mr. Vice President." He, she would say it like to him for four times, and he just kept going. He wouldn't follow the ru- follow the rules either. For all of their talk about law and order, these Republicans don't give a shit. They're going to take and take and take. And people are going to say, hey, you're breaking the rules. You're breaking the law. You're breaking the order. They don't care. Like uh, Trump is always talking about law and order. He, He finds any way he can to break the laws for white collar crime and get his friends off, get himself off. He pays $750 in taxes and it's all white collar crime. He doesn't care about law and order. Except, except for here in Portland and in Portland, he doesn't care about it either because we've had 130 days of protest here in Portland and he wants to say that we are uh, going against law and order. We're not like they're like the first day and at around a day, a hundred, there was a uh, breaking of glass, some looting It's happened twice. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, Portland is this crazy anarchy district in the United States. And I'm all about anarchy. Uh, I've worked with Antifa. I know what Antifa is about. Antifa is about uh, helping people who are in need and being against fascism. I mean, who's not against fascism today on Twitter? I don't know if you saw this, Matt, but uh, Mike Lee, the senator of Utah, 
says that uh, democracy is not the point. Democracy is not the point. We are, we talk about fascism. We are headed into fascism. Democracy is under attack. It's always been under attack by white, rich, powerful men like Mike Lee and Donald Trump uh, and sometimes myself <laughs> who want <laughs> to keep power. But uh, this is like, it's just out in the open. Like even last night at the vice presidential uh, debate, Mike Pence refuses to say if uh, they are going to leave the White House if they lose this election. And then they talk about law and order. Yeah, it, it's um, it's astounding that that you talk about law and order and you talk about all this kind of stuff and then you could just not answer questions. And, and look, like every politician does some of this sidestepping and all that. But this was like on full display, like he oh. literally could not come out and just say, yeah, we'll leave the White House. His his he like it's it's such an arrogance and a boastfulness like, oh, we're no, we're going to win. That was his response. And it was just like, I mean, well, OK, what if you don't, you know, are you going to leave? And it's like, well, no, it's it's a, it's it's like you're you're setting it up to have it both ways. You either win or it was rigged against you. Yeah. And, and, and that and that's just so like. I, I don't even know. I don't. I have no comment for that because it's like, it's like you have an excuse either way. It's it's this cultish type of behavior. And the only way that Trump is going to lose is because people like you and me have rigged the system. Right. We've rigged it. We're cheating. We're cheating. And gee, talk about projection here. Like, who is sabotaging the post office so that? Democracy can't happen. There's they're sabotaging the election. And then they're saying that Democrats are sabotaging the election. It's it's just messed up. He's saying uh, to his followers, go to these polling stations and make sure that there's no cheating. That's voter intimidation. That's what that is. Out yeah, there and, in the and, open, and, attacking democracy right in front of our face. And Mike Pence was kept saying to Kamala, um, you're entitled to your opinion, which thank you, white man. Um, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And it's like, well, OK, let's talk about facts, because there is no evidence that there is this widespread voter fraud. And they point to like these little bit of anecdotes of mistakes and like, oh, some 10 ballots are lost or this and that. And it's like there's always going to be mistakes. But but they're talking about like widespread voter fraud. There is zero evidence of this. It's, yeah, it's the, like it's like they it's like their approach to climate change. They won't come out and say that that they 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 say that they'll believe in science, but then they don't believe in science. It's like you're you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, man. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Um, and I don't know if you caught it or not, but this whole stacking of the Supreme Court conversation. Yeah, explain but, that because I don't I don't quite understand that. I, I I'm not I'm not into politics as much as some people. Well, here's so so we've got this uh, Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, who uh, is nominated by Trump this uh, in the last month, right? Like two weeks right. ago, right? And the Republicans said at the end of 2016 that in an election year, a yep. president is not should not be allowed to nominate a Supreme Court justice. 
Yeah, we all heard him say that. <laughs> yes, because and you can use our words against us even. <laughs> yeah. If this should ever come up. And so now uh, they're making all kinds of excuses to go against what they said they did last four years ago so that they can nominate Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. This is stacking the Supreme Court. This is putting a one of your judges on when you should not be able to put your judge on. That's what stacking the Supreme Court is. The Republicans are stacking the Supreme Court right now. And they have the audacity to say to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, if you get elected, are you going to stack the Supreme Court? This is just more projection. And what they mean by that is some Democrats have suggested that since the uh, Republicans are right now going against their word that they had four years ago and putting on a very conservative Supreme Court justice stacking the courts literally now that if Democrats get power, that they should move, uh, they should add three Supreme Court justices onto uh, the bench so that it can even out. So it's not this um, six to three, six uh, conservatives and three Democrats because the Republicans have stacked the court. <laughs> so now Republicans are saying, oh, are you going to stack the court uh, two years from now? It's just total projection. It's total bullshit. It's, 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 we know that we are doing, well, we, we're going to blind ourselves to stacking the Supreme Court and we're just going to accuse you of doing it even when you don't have power, <laughs> even when you aren't in a position to do it. Yeah, it's just... It's such a mess, dude. And, and it's so funny because I, I don't know how you were raised, but I was raised in a conservative house with conservative churches. And there were certain like, let's put the policies aside for a second, because those yes. are all fine. And I love having those on the table and I love talking about policies. But let's just talk about like behavior, how you treat each other, wow. how, how your word like is as good as as signing a piece of paper, like your word is your bond. And and the people who raised me are line are lined up with the people who are like just boldfaced lying. Like yep. it's just straight up like the behavior. And like I I I don't think policy should come first when it comes to like, are you just being true? Are you being trustworthy? Are you being transparent? Are you being truthful? And all those things that Trump cannot tick off any of those boxes. And yet people will still follow him. But but I was raised better, Adam. So are you, I'm sure. If you were raised in that mold, like your ethics mattered, your morality mattered, your behavior mattered. And now it doesn't seem to matter at all. It only matters in words and in theory, but not in the practical day to day how we're going to live right now. Yeah. Yeah. My my ethic, my ethics excuse me, my ethics. You're all are, choked up, man. Yes, I'm all choked up. My ethics are uh, pretty much that I'm a shithead. And I do really, I, I get caught up into bad things. Uh, and the whole point of Christianity, the disciples, for example, they deny Jesus during their life. Uh, they constantly don't understand what Jesus is up to during their life. Even after the resurrection, they fuck things up. 
They fuck things up during Jesus's life and after his life. But the whole point of Christianity is to look back on your life and say, oh, I messed that up. And Jesus comes back and says, hey, let's try again. That's what the resurrection is all about. Yeah. Hey, you messed up and let's try again. So when we talk about ethics, I want to, I want to have room for um, people fucking up because yeah. I fucked up in my life. Yeah. And you look back, you try to get help with it. You look back and you say, oh, geez, uh, I need to go in a different direction conservatives are always like you liberals never talk about repentance exactly well guess what we do we do and you need to you need to talk about repentance not for our lgbtq siblings for being lesbian gay or bisexual or transgender that's not the point the point is we all hurt one another and look back on your life and find the ways where you haven't lived an authentic self and then try to live in a more authentic way, realizing I'm going to mess up again. You're going to mess up again. And guess what? That's what the human condition is all about. But Jesus, God always comes back to us and says, let's try this again. So the fact that like Trump is in a pattern of lying and, uh, uh, whatever, (laughs) whatever we want to say, uh, is understandable. Um, But if he doesn't do any work on trying to change that pattern, if he's totally blind to it, Mm -hmm. uh, saying that after COVID, he feels 20 years younger. I mean, how irresponsible is this? Uh, And encouraging people to like saying one time, oh, it's patriotic to wear a mask. And then having these outdoor uh events like Amy Comey Barrett, where there was a super spreader and saying, oh, it was just an outdoor. Mike Pence said yesterday it was just an outdoor event. It was not just an outdoor event before they were inside. Afterwards, the event went inside. This was an inside event and an outside event, and they're lying about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad you, you brought up repentance because I've heard that you've heard that I, you know, when I came out as a universalist, I especially heard that, you know, we got to talk about repentance. You guys never want to talk about repentance. And it's like, I don't see, I'm fine. Like you said, with people fucking up, I fuck up all the time. I don't know a single person who hasn't. Yes. And, and so I'm all, I'm all for that. I understand people are going to mess things up, but if we do not see any effort yep. of, of trying harder, when we see a doubling Come down, Come on. It's like, what are we doing yes. here? It would be so refreshing if Trump or Pence or any of them would be like, yeah, you know what? I made a, I made a mistake there. I, I, I made a mistake. I'd be like, holy shit. <laughs> this is like the end of the world as we know it. I, that is like a sign of repentance. Great. Change your mind. Change your thought patterns. But where I, is that? Where yeah. is that? Yep. Yep. And here, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about one of the issues that I was dealing with last night. When I was watching that debate, I, and this is, this is how white supremacy works within me. Uh, I was watching that debate and I was like, Kamala, why aren't you fighting? Why are you so nice? This is the problem with Democrats is that Republicans always bring a machine gun to the fight and we're bringing a butter knife. Yeah. And, and, but, but. There is still this 
this norm for women. Yes. And, and it's not right. And especially women of color. Yes. That you just can't cross. Yes. If Kamala had fought back, she would be the angry black lady. She already is. Yes. Because people on Twitter, I even put, I, I clap back to someone um, who was saying she was bitter and angry and this and that. And I was like, that's exactly what I expect people like you uh, to think. She was so, in, she was smart. She was so incredibly nice. Oh, she was so restrained. Was, and, and, oh. and yeah. Like I wanted her inner black woman to come out and like to whoop on Mike, but I, I understand. I understand, you know that that uh, unfortunately that societal norm, the tendrils of of white supremacy, is yeah. you know through it through all of culture. Yep, yep. And Mike Pence denies it. He's like, oh, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want you to think that there's uh, implicit bias and racism within the United States. You're not racist. This is just, it's just so. Oh, dude, dude. Uh, what, what, what he basically said, it was, he, like, Trump has two, two Jewish cousins, so he yeah. can't be. And that's, dude, I was like, oh my God, that's like, bro, I work with a black guy. I'm not racist. Yeah. His, like, his, come on, man. His daughter and his daughter's uh, husband are Jewish, so he can't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, come on. I was like, dude, that is so, like, come on. That's like, I got, I got that one black friend in high school. How could I be racist? <laughs> oh my God, dude. So frustrating. It, it was very frustrating. I, I, I was yelling at my laptop last night, like literally yelling and, and at not even like the policy. It was just like, you agreed to play by the rules, Pence. Yep. You're just like the nice, like white evangelical pastoral version of trump you're but you're still the same like you're not listening to what you signed up for and it i don't like using the word triggered all the time but i was just like oh god i feel like i'm in some sort of some sort of sermon right now and he just has that that you know the gross pastor look and and just like like kind of talking like like susan kept saying thank you mr vice president thank you mr it's like don't say thank you he's not listening but just be like joe biden and say shut up Shut, shut up, up man. man. <laughs> why? Well, I, why don't they have a, I mean, a mic shut off. I can mute you right I mean, now yes. with this, with this pretty inexpensive technology that we're using. I could mic you if you, oh, if you, you wouldn't shut up. You know what Mike Pence and Donald Trump would do if they turned off their mics. You know, they would play the victim card. They oh, would yeah. take that all the way to the bank. They oh, would yeah. be the resentful victims and just come after the media and Democrats. And <laughs> it would just, it would, I mean, it would be the right thing to do to shut off their mics at two minutes, but they would just, they would take that for all they could. Oh yeah. They, they would, they would milk that for sure. Yeah. You're absolutely right. But uh, yeah. Well, anyway. well, yeah. Anyway, we have what 20 some odd days until the election. Uh, I, I, it's hard to get excited because I mean, I'm excited that there's potential for Trump to not be there anymore. I don't think he can actually not leave. Um, but I do worry about the voter suppression. Yep. And I mean, I'm not, I've never been particularly excited about Biden. Um, but that, that that's beside the point. Um, it's not always about having your first choice. Uh, sometimes it's like, oh, we got to not drive this train nice. off a cliff any, and a cliff any longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's looking, it's looking like uh, Trump. I mean, 
honestly, maybe Joe Biden is the right pick. He doesn't have to do shit. Trump can just keep shooting himself in the foot. I mean, he he can't accuse Joe Biden of being a socialist. As much as, I, as much as I love Bernie Sanders uh, and would have loved for him to have been the candidate um, or, yeah, I mean, he he can't accuse him of being a socialist as much as he tries. So, I, yeah, I mean, he's he's not my first choice, uh, but uh, yeah. But yeah probably, I, he, I mean, we see like Joe Biden is like winning by uh, 10 digit or uh, 10 points plus. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, we were overly optimistic with uh, Hillary four years ago. So. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. But yeah. uh, anyway, man, thanks for coming on and spending some time with me. Hey, it was my pleasure. And uh, I'll catch you out there. Um, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, thanks for having me on. And yeah. uh, um, I go apostates. Is, is there a what is your what is your story with football? How did you how did you start like? Can I can I be interviewer again? How did you yeah. start liking this team called the Spurs from some podunk? place in england well it's it's not that podunk you may have heard it yeah it's in london oh it um, is london oh yeah <laughs> the london spurs okay no it's it's tottenham it's in it's in the poor it's in the poor uh uh section of london and north london oh okay. um yeah i i got into football a couple of years ago and of course when you say football you mean proper football soccer yes i'm with you um so i didn't know what team to pick I didn't want to go with like one of the main clubs that always wins. Um, Cause that just seems like kind of whatever you went with uh, the underdog. Uh, yeah. Well, yes. And, but it was almost like uh divine Providence. We, we bought a mini Cooper when uh, my wife and I, when we first got married and the license plate was a custom license plate. And it was a Cooper that came over from London and then was sold. And the license plate was Hotspur and we didn't know why. And then when I got into uh, football, there was a team called Tottenham Hotspur. And I was like, oh, shit, look at this. And then I was like, well, I got her. I, I got that's got to be my club. And they are a big club. Uh, but then it turns out they're like uh, the team that always loses at the end. So they'll break your heart in a million pieces. And so uh, that's why I'm such a bitter asshole. God led you to the underdog. <laughs> yes. God yeah. Led you to the that is Christian. That is what that, Christianity is all about. That is right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jesus goes to the cross and the hot spurs just And I go I go to Tottenham. Number, number one. So there you go. That's a stretch, but I like it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, Thanks, pe- man. peace and love. We'll see you out there. All right. See you, man. Ah, oh, such a good conversation. Thank you, Adam, for uh taking, I don't know, twenty some odd minutes of your time to talk to me. Um, like I said in the opening, huge, huge love to Raven Foundation, uh, Lindsay, Adam, Mora, Suzanne, everyone over there, um, you know, published my first article uh, ever, like five, almost six years ago, I guess now. Um, so huge shout out to them. I would encourage everyone listening, all 10 of you, uh, <laughs> no, there's more, um, <laughs> uh, to head over to you know, look up Raven Foundation on Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook. Go give them a follow and a like uh, and all that. I think it's I think it's RavenFoundation.org still. 
is their website if you want to check them out. Got a lot of great stuff on mimetic theory, uh, Girardian thinking. Um, they distill it down better than anyone, in my humble uh, opinion. So I know, you know, I talk about mimetic theory a lot. I don't know if I've talked about it too much on this show, but in my books and all that kind of stuff, you probably, you probably know the deal. Um, they do, they do a better job than anyone, including myself, on how to get, uh, you know, the common person to understand mimetic theory in a, you know, in a comprehensible way with, you know, not cutting corners, but still making it easy to, to digest and figure out. So, yeah. All right. Enough gushing. Enough gushing about them. Um, want to talk about something today that has nothing to do with politics. Well, I guess everything has to do with politics, but I'm not going to make it political. Um, I wanted to talk about, I, I've said, I've said before that I'm a universalist. Um, I've written in my books that I'm a universalist. And I want to talk about what that means to me and why it's not necessarily derived from the Bible. Although I do think, I do still think the Bible supports it. And I'll get into what I mean by that. So for me, universalism um, is not a dirty word <laughs> like some Christians will have you believe. Uh, to me, universalism and my universalism simply means that the ending of everyone's story is a good one. Um, whether that's reconciling to God relationally with each other, um, if it looks like heaven in the in the common like Christian you know evangelical understanding of heaven like going to heaven um it just means everyone will go there uh, or everything on earth will be restored or everyone's soul will be restored whatever that means to you I'm cool with I used to be a Christian universalist and and I don't even know if I'm not I'm just more agnostic on whether whether Jesus is like the linchpin of the whole thing or not. Um, I'm totally cool if he is. I'm totally cool if everyone uh, is reconciled to God because directly of Jesus and Jesus only. Although I, I tend to be more pluralistic these days. And we're going to talk about this on, a, um, I think we're going to do a series on a Heretic Happy Hour. Um, and in one of the episodes, I wanted to talk about pluralism. I'm not going to give away what the series is going to be exactly, but I did want to talk about pluralism. And and what I mean by that is that I, I think all faith traditions can lead you to God. And I'm not saying all faith traditions in all in, in all the forms that they're practiced. I'm just saying like the more mystical, non-dual, enlightened interpretations of the faith can lead you to God. And and I know if we were, if we had pitchforks with us and we we're in an evangelical church, I'd be dead uh, <laughs> or driven out, burnt at the stake for saying something like that. But I'm that you know, this is 2020 and we don't actually do that I, I suppose any longer in the church. Uh although eh, sometimes sometimes we could be a little violent, can't we? So that that's just where I'm at. And I'll tell you why. And no, it's not the Bible. <laughs> um, I, it's just experientially. Like, I just see 
and feel in my heart in a knowing, capital K knowing, capital K-N-O-W knowing, um, that, that relationships, when they're restored to their right form, are like the highest form, uh, you know, of, of, of what we're meant to be doing. And even like the shittiest relationships, like me and my father, you know, my estranged dad, might not ever talk to that guy again in my life. But I know deep within my core of being that the ideal state for that relationship is reconciliation and restoration. And he's done some shitty things, like just as a dad. Like I'm not even calling him a shitty person. I'm just just like I'm trying to be objective as like how a father, how I would want to be a father, like pretty much opposite of him. But I recognize his value. I recognize that he probably made bad decisions. I know he made that bad decisions because of trauma that he had. He wasn't able to overcome it and be able to like flip it on its head and not be that way. So I know that in my, you know, in my bones that the right thing for that relationship is restoration. Now, that's not going to happen in this day, in this age, in this life, potentially. Maybe it will, but it's not for everyone. It's not for every one of those relationships. That's just an example. We know that people go to the grave without reconciling to God and themselves. So there ha- for my, to my mind, there has to be some sort of experience after you die that gets you there. But the end of everything for your like path in your relationship is to always be like in that posture of reconciliation. And, and one day I just believe it will be. And it'll be actually rest- restored and every relationship will be restored. It just, it just seems like that's a good story. Like the best thing I can describe this whole human experience is it's kind of like a story. And there is real adventure and real trauma. And the characters, you and I and everyone else are real. And we actually go through shit. But it, it almost reads as a story. Like I like the analogy of like be the main character. I think I heard Joe Rogan talk about this. Be the main character of your own story or your own movie or your own book. Like what would the main character, what would the hero do? It's kind of that, you know, Joseph Campbell, hero's journey sort of shit, but it works. And so it's like, if this is a story, if this is our story, if this is the human story, it seems much more likely that it's like closer to to a fairy tale than, than a, you know, fucking horror shit show. Like, like the Calvinists or even the Arminians will have you believe, like the people who believe in hell. Like they often mock universalism for being a fairy tale. I'm like, what's wrong with a fairy tale? <laughs> you want it to be like a Clive Barker novel. I don't know if that's much better. So, you know, that, you know, that, that, that's where I'm at. And, and see, the good thing is the Bible actually talks about this, I think. Like the Bible talks about the restoration of all things. Apocatastasis, that fancy Greek term. In Acts 3, it talks about this kind of shit. Paul talks about this kind of stuff. You know, of like uh, in, in Colossians, 1 Corinthians, and Romans, like God's going to be merciful to all. God will be all in all. Like all of these statements about that kind of thing where it's like, at the end, everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be restored. And, and I take that to mean like, Physically, sure. Emotionally, sure. Psychologically, sure. But like relationally with one another. Because we always like to talk about salvation and all that in like a independent way. 
in an individualistic way, as if it has nothing to do with everyone else. But to me, and I think the Bible even, and to my experiences, first and foremost, and more importantly than the Bible, sorry, evangelicals, is that experientially, salvation, healing, restoration is like super, super relational. It's restored relationships with everyone who I've like fallen out with, who I still don't talk to to this day, who, you know, all that kind of stuff, like where bridges are burned. I see restoration and salvation as corporate. And I think Paul did too. I think the writer of John's gospel did too. I think it's John 12, 32. You can check me if I'm wrong, but it's about like Jesus dragging everyone to himself. Like, it's corporate. It's all of humankind. And that, it, to me, is such a more beautiful story. That's such a more beautiful ending to the human drama, if you want to call it a drama or an adventure. Like the way Christians talk about salvation and eschatology is like as if like Saruman won. Like the battle at the end with Sauron. Maybe Sauron's defeated, but like a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the characters burn forever. Or are lo- you know, are defeat you know, all the characters you fell in love with, like they're just utterly in ruin forever and ever. I you know, I don't know. I know I know some stories don't have like the happiest endings, but and I like those kind of stories. I even like Lord of the Rings for not having the happiest ending. But when it comes to, like, humanity, I you know, it's got to be a good ending. Maybe not the penultimate ending. There's bittersweetness and all that and grief. But in the ending ending, the telos, the eschatological ending, it just, see, it just, when I, when I just sit in stillness and meditate on that, it feels right. And I know our feelings can come and go. They can be fleeting. And that's why we use logic and reason and critical thinking. But I feel like I've done all that. Like I've done the biblical exegetical work. Like I know the annihilationist position. I know the eternal torment position. I know the universalist position. And I could learn them better. But it's not going to sway me at this point. Because my experiences are my experiences. And I can't unexperience them. I've, I've ex- I feel like I've experienced God as love. God is merciful. God is gracious. I haven't experienced God as wrath. I've experienced like cause and effect, and all that kind of shit. But I've never experienced like God as as angry um, at anything other than like maybe actions, but not actually angry with the core of who I am. Nothing like that. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing like that. My own insecurities, yeah, maybe. But not nothing like nothing about God that, that a lot of Christians say about God is true. So I haven't experienced them, so I, I can't know them to be true. But I've experienced the more universalistic stuff. The holy loving stuff. The God who will figure out a way to complete his quote unquote mission, which is to be in right relationship with everyone. And to have everyone in right relationship with each other. I've just experienced those kinds of things where I, the Bible like backs that up. It doesn't contradict it. 
And if it did, I'd go with my experiences. To be frank, I don't know how we can't. I mean, to go with like a text in spite of your experiences is like to say, I, I heard one pastor say this shit. I forget his name. Um, if it said, if it said in the Bible, two plus two equals five, he'd find a way to justify it. Even though his experience says completely otherwise, two plus two is four. He would cut, <laughs> he would find a way to fucking justify that two plus two equals five. And that's true. Even though his experience knows that's, that's wrong. His life experiences knows that's 100% wrong but he would find a way so i'm the other way around you know okay if my experience tells me this then i gotta reevaluate what i thought about a text about a theology about a philosophy anything like i think it was michael polanyi polani who came up with the term tacit knowledge it's a knowledge based on direct experience and that's like a philosophy like it's a, it's an epistemological starting point, meaning how we know what we know is first and foremost directly related to what we experience and what we learned firsthand. So, for example, like if I say I know how to ride a bike, what I'm not talking about is I read a book on physics that explained how bikes stay up and how you pedal and get some motion and how you turn with some like some trifical force. That's not what I mean. That's not what anyone means. They didn't read the instruction manual and they say, oh, I know how to ride a bike now. No. They jump their ass on the bike. Bring, bring, bring. They roll down the road and they fall on their ass and they get back up and they fall and they get back up. And then they figure out the balance point and then they ride the bike. Actually ride the bike. And then they can say, I know how to ride a bike. That's tacit knowledge. That is experiential. And that is the starting place, 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 this is the starting place of my universalism. And it should be the starting place of anyone's beliefs. But we get so tied up in what we've been told is true. I love the Alan Watts, um, is it an analogy or some sort of teaching? He says, uh, in fundamentalism, you have the the like the spiritual leader the pastor is is stealing your watch and then selling it back to you that's your spirituality you're getting taken what's rightfully you're getting taken from what's rightfully yours you're getting sold back to you and and, and that's like how we approach spirituality we're being told what is true based on someone else which is likely based on someone else which is and so so We've removed ourselves from even trusting our direct experiences. But again, I contend. Oh, who the fuck are you, Matt? Well, you know, I I'm just, this is my opinion. This is my show, goddammit. I contend that, you know, the Bible does not contradict my experience of universalism. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And the patristic universalists uh, would probably agree with me. You know, it's a funny thing. That in the early church, universalism was so accepted. Not only accepted, but like was like the forerunner. It was it was, it was in the forefront of of how things worked out in the end. It, it like uh, Augustine said, very many believed it. So it was it was pretty popular. It was pretty popular. It's impossible to know like count up all the Christians. How many believed this? How many believed that? How many believed that? Because most of them were probably illiterate. 
you know, and obviously we only have select writings from some of the theologians, so it's it's impossible to know how many of the population of Christianity believed what, but we know it was a predominant doctrine. And we know it was accepted. I'd say hell, for all of for all the stuff I say bad about Augustine, like I bet he would even accept the universalists. Like when he talked about them, he didn't like say they're going to hell. He said that they just that there was too like too much compassion or too much emotion with how they um approach things. And he even said, you know, they they're they're fine with their Bible. They, you know, they use the Bible to justify that and all that. He didn't condemn them at all the way people condemn us now. Um he just disagreed. So it was accepted. It was accepted all until later. Like it was never heretical until I think the 600s. Uh, maybe yeah, no, maybe 500, 6th century. 6th century I think is when it was first deemed heresy officially. So I mean these people who tell you it's always been this way, we've always known about hell as eternal torment or even annihilation. They're one of two things. They're lying to you or they're ignorant. They simply don't know. Or they know and they, they don't want that out. They don't want that information to get out. To you dumb plebs. To the fe- the people who fill their coffers. <laughs> I can go down some conspiratorial waters. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. I try to give ben- people the benefit of the doubt and just say they're ignorant. Like, they don't know that the early church was highly universalistic. Um, you know, they, they just don't have that information. That's that's why I wrote one of the chapters in Heretic about the history of universalism in the early church and how um, it became not an accepted doctrine. But it's coming back, yo! It's coming back. Don't call it a comeback! Uh, it's It's been here the whole time. It's been, you know little blips every now and then but now it's getting more popular thanks to uh thanks to old bobby boy bobby bell rob bell and people like that who put their neck on the line and get shat on by the christian church you know but they're doing the good work they're doing the good work my savior you know there's this um this evangelical church just down the road and every sunday morning they um they play their music and they're doing it outdoors because of COVID. Christ Almighty, it's terrible. I can tell. I can tell. I can just hear the chords faint in the distance, and I can just tell. I was like, "Oh, this is this is that Christian music coming again." I forget. I came up with like um, a verse this morning as I was outside having breakfast with my wife. It was something about praying the gay away. I don't know. My I forget my lyrics. <laughs> It's about like Jesus, our Savior, the King above all kings. I don't know how I got to praying the gay way from from the from that, but I eventually got there and it fit perfectly. It was beautiful, beautiful. Oh Lord, have mercy. Anyway, what's the takeaway, Matt? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, the takeaway is trust your experiences and forget what the Bible says. No, I'm just kidding. If you like studying the Bible, I like studying the Bible. Not not recently as much, but I still I still I still dabble. Um, I still like it, and if you like it, that's great. But have your epistemology start with your experiences, and then figure out, you know, if if 
the experiences of the writers fits with yours. Because I'll tell you, a lot of people had agendas in the Bible. And so you have to approach it. Sometimes the Bible says things, we don't have to make it nice. We don't have to make it all universalistic. We, we, you know, when I say, when I say the Bible doesn't contradict universalism, I just mean it's in there. I don't mean that it's the only thing in there. There's, there's hell in there. And, and there's probably annihilation in there. There's people who probably believed maybe a, a litany of both or a litany of, a litany of things or a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I don't know. So, but, but know that the, all the writers had an agenda. And so they're, they're coming from their experience, but they're also trying to, you know, they're trying to sway the audience into who Jesus was or what, you know, the Jewish story was back in the Hebrew Bible. Like, what's our story? What's God really like? How God, how's God relating to us now? So it's going to be all over the map. Bada bing, bada boom. Um, yeah. So start there, start with experiences and then approach texts and then approach doctrines and theologies and all that kind of stuff. Because if you can't trust your experiences, you can't trust your experiences of your doctrines. So you're kind of in a conundrum. Um, so either way, I think you're going to be going from direct experience. And that is the Buddhist in me telling the Buddhist in you, what's up? So with that, I'm going to bounce out of here again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to the Raven Foundation and Adam Erickson. Um, you have a, a, a nice little spot in my heart always. So nothing but love for you all. And speaking of a place in my heart, all of my Patreon supporters have a, have a, have a spot in my heart too for taking the time to support me, um, taking the time to contribute financially to me and my endeavors huge shout out nothing but love for you all if you want to join the team patreon.com slash mj would love if a couple people did that anyway i'm out i'll see you next week i will try to get a cool guest if not i'll try to get a shitty guest <laughs> um love and peace and all that good stuff tell your friends about the show rate and review on apple podcasts that would be hugely, hugely helpful. So do that. Love y'all. Bye.